Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. Your talking points are high-end VIP lifestyle. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. We are so close, just just about a week away from real NFL football. Super excited. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins player. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Just like you, uh, just counting down the minutes till the regular season starts and we can start tabulating these fantasy points for real. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, doing good, doing good, doing uh, a little bit better than uh, the people of Minnesota and Teddy Bridgewater, unfortunately. So I decided as a, as a tribute to Teddy, but, you know, I think about him, I thought I'd just play this real quick. There we go. You know you know your fans are behind you there, Teddy. So we, we, we hope you re- recover swiftly. Um, any any other news and notes, Nick, that you, get, that you had that are just – Rattling around in your brain, you got to get out of your chest. Uh, well, uh, a lot of injuries, like you mentioned, with Teddy Bridgewater, also uh, the Tony Romo situation in Dallas. Uh, that that one is a major hit to uh to the values of uh, Des Bryant and Jason Witten, don't you think? See, I mean, I've I've still been impressed with with Dak and his deep ball, especially. But uh, we'll see, we'll see what it looks like. Uh, real game-wise, you know, and, and the good thing for, for Dak and possibly Sean Hill stepping under center is at least, they, at least they have a decent supporting cast around them. Obviously, the Vikings' offensive line is nowhere near the, the Dallas offensive line, but at least at least they have AP, at least they, you know, have a couple receivers, young receivers that seem, seemingly have some talent. So it's not like it's it's all for naught, but it certainly certainly hurts when you lose your starting quarterback uh this close to the to the start of the season, most definitely. Um, any any camp battles that have caught your eye so far, Nick? Any, anything that you're maybe worried about roster wise? Well, it seems like the majority of the camp battles have kind of straightened themselves out. You know, uh, you look in Denver's quarterback situation. Trevor uh, Simeon uh, will start the season at quarterback there. Uh, the Tennessee apparently wasn't lying when they quickly put Todd J. Sharp atop their wide receiver depth chart. He's uh, really looked great in preseason. And uh, in Houston, it seems Jalen Strong was unable to hold off the two rookie wide receivers, Will Fuller and uh, Braxton Miller, and uh, seemingly has felt fell to a wide receiver four there for the for the Texans. Uh, we haven't gotten as much clarity, though, however, with uh, the Eagles wide receivers behind Jordan Matthews. And uh, the uh, Seattle's running back situation still seems somewhat murky, but logic would say Thomas Rawls has to be the number one running back over Christine Michael, right? Um, we'll see. You know, he's at least had some success you know we've we've seen people spend many waiver dollars on michael here and there and it's always, it's always been for not so we'll see uh we'll see how that works out i hope hopefully maybe things are a little bit clearer now with uh philadelphia releasing reuben rando i almost forgot he was there because apparently he did too but uh, um <laughs> i i for now i would probably guess we'll see uh Matthews and Aguilar get the start, and then we'll see uh, some mixes uh, of uh, of DGB, probably you know red zone type of things. I think he still has has some things to learn in that offense, so we'll see 
we'll see ultimately how that works out. But uh, um, yeah, the, and you know uh, the the Raiders running back situation could be very very interesting too. With uh, and I know it's preseason, but and you tend not to get over overzealous with preseason stuff. But Latavius Murray has not looked very sharp at all, and. Um, Coincidentally, Melvin Gordon has. You know, Melvin Gordon scored the first touchdown, Nick, in the in the Vikings' new stadium history. <laughs> in that preseason game, he scored, and he scored touchdowns in back-to-back games now. Uh, but anyway, back to to the Raiders. Uh, DeAndre Washington's been looking very good. Jalen Richard finally got in the game the other night too and looked very good. So they got options. And if Murray struggles early. Um, you know, they're all different types of backs, so I don't think he's going to be completely taken off the field, but you could that could be a tough situation to deal with all year for fantasy owners, much like Seattle is looking to be and uh, New England as well as they seem to always be are. So um, got a good show for you planned today. Just tip some of the most typical stuff we do with uh, Dynasty Trade Analysis, you know, our dilemma for and against. Uh, for and against uh, Kamar Aiken, excuse me, and our dynasty dilemma is Michael Thomas versus uh, Tyler Boyd. A little rookie action here as he gets started the season. And then we have a kind of an extended version of plant your flag or wash your hands because we know many of you are trying to get your rosters uh, under 40 and on maybe on unfortunately if you waited this long to uh, – or not under 40 or just under under your roster limits – if you waited too long, maybe maybe you guys have some people that can just go on IR, unfortunately. But what's uh, the case that happened to me in one of my leagues? Our last waiver we our last waiver just went through before the season started, and now I've actually got too too few players because I cut people before I needed to, and now people are injured. So, um, what do you think? This this just popped into my head, Nick. A, a friend of mine has a has a, a first round. First, excuse me, the first overall pick in the redraft uh, next week, and he's tr- he's trying to not let his Cowboys homerism come into play. But what do you think about taking Ezekiel Elliott one point zero one in a redraft? And if if not, where where would you feel comfortable taking? Well, I absolutely wouldn't. I would never take a rookie one point zero one, and even in the first round, it's tough for me to uh, put my faith in a rookie in the first round. I mean, really, if you don't hit on your first round pick, you're probably not going to even make the playoffs, let alone contend for a championship. Uh, and you look at Zeke uh, Elliott. Uh, reportedly, he's not in the greatest shape, and then there's pops, possible maturity issues. I don't have an issue with him visiting a, a, the store in Seattle as a tourist, but. Um, you know, some people do. Uh, you know, he, he's going in the first round in virtually every redraft league, personally. And by the way, I'm a Redskins fan, so definitely not a Cowboys homer. I have him at 13th overall. That's 2.01 in a 12 team league. It's just hard for me to take a rookie on what is now a questionable offense with a rookie quarterback uh, and a rookie running back. You know, although I would guess if you do want him, you probably have to spend between 1.05 and 1.09 uh, on him. That would be my guess as far as like his his redraft ADP. Okay, and I know part of his and this is a, this is a PPR um, running backs get 0.01 per carry, so it hopefully evens out the PPR a little bit, but. Uh, and it's a one one keeper league, and I know somebody's keeping Gurley, so that's that was kind of his motivation behind going after Elliott. Yeah, I still think that's too early. 
it, it, it is redraft. You know, I, you, if, if you're a gambler and you really, you really want to go for it and let's face it, things could, things could really work out for you, but it's, it's, it's still too much of a gamble. Um, He's probably not going to be there. If you're picking 1.01, he's probably not going to be there by the time you're picking the second, obviously. So, um, I don't know if you could consider trading back for him in a redraft. That might be a little bit of a bold move, but, uh, um, yeah, you can't stop those Cowboys fans from just going for it, though, Nick. <laughs> you know how they can be sometimes. Uh, I mean, I obviously mean that with, with much love for my friends and all Cowboys fans everywhere. Um, let's do some for or against. Uh, this is a new segment we've been doing over the last month here. We just kind of pick a player that some people are – that the, the dynasty community is kind of divided on, and we each come with uh, five talking points. I have the for side, and Nick has the against side on uh, Kamar Aiken. So let's do a little for or against Mr. Kamar Aiken. I apologize for the first part of that clip was uh, turned down. But anyway, uh, Kamar Aiken, I start, had the foresight, so like I said, I will go first. Uh, easily forgotten name amongst many big-name vets, and uh, with Perryman in the fold, I think he's just easily forgotten. Nick, what do you got? Uh, well, I, he's to me, he's just kind of a one-year wonder alert. Uh, he's been in the NFL since 2011, and last year was his first time even going over 300 yards. That scares me. Um, he actually knows the offense. He's had success in the offense, and he's played more snaps in the offense than any other pass catcher currently on the roster. He's even played more snaps than Joe Flacco, Nick, in this offense. Yeah, sorry. True, but he was a restricted free agent in this offseason and was only given a second-round tender. Now, uh, seeing as he was over 900 yards last year, I would think that most teams uh, would give up a second-round pick for somebody who they thought could be a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, Since nobody was even interested in doing that, that is another uh, red flag, in my opinion. Okay. Um, I think he's a versatile guy. He's not just a slot player um, or or a deep threat, but he, he can settle in and play both of those positions, but I also think he could be a very solid possession receiver in this offense. But the team is really loaded at running back. I I think they're highly unlikely to pass near as much as they did last season when uh, Baltimore actually led the NFL with 676 pass steps last year. I don't see that happening again. It is Trestman, though. Um, The unfortunate loss will have a more defined role as the current tight ends, uh, Mr. Double X, Max Williams, and Darren Waller still still need to hone their own hone their blocking skills. And Crockett Gilmore is a far better blocker than he is pass catcher. Yeah, but he's still going to be kind of buried in the pecking order. Mike Wallace, Steve Smith, Bashard Perriman now is uh, going to be playing again. All those guys are going to be ahead of Kamari. And plus, you mentioned like uh, the the two talented tight ends. Uh, Gilmore and uh, Williams are going to have a great opportunity now that uh, Ben Watson's out for the year. Um, I think Steve Smith Sr. is actually one hit away from retirement. We, we know what Mike Wallace is. 
He's, he's basically just a deep threat. Aiken is just the most versatile. He's got he's the youngest um, with with experience on this team, and I think he runs runs an entire route tree. I think he's he's not a guy that's gonna completely take over and be a top twenty wide receiver, but he might be the most valuable wide receiver on this team when the season is said and done. What do you think? Well, I, I will say with uh, Mike Wallace and Steve Smith Sr. being pretty good deep threats, uh, Kamar Aiken could be a decent PPR possession type of guy, but in classic standard leagues, I think his value takes a big hit. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, in, any other thing pop in your head while you were doing that, Ben? Uh, nope, that was all I had for, for Kamar Aiken. Well, moving forward, it's time for some dynasty trade analysis. Just a four for you today. Um, kind of a big one. It's been a been a while since I think this one happened during the podcast last week. But uh, what do you think about Brock Osweiler, Khalil Mack, Denoris Searcy, and Devon Kennard for Kirk Cousins, Jason Pierre-Paul, C.J. Mosley, and Morgan Burnett? I like this trade, especially seeing as now Khalil Mack is designated as a defensive end, not a linebacker. That definitely boosted his value. But I'm going to have to go with the other side on this. I think getting C.J. Mosley and Morgan Burnett, very solid uh, linebacker and safety, uh, plus Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, JPT, if he can regain part of the form that he used to be, I think he's going to be uh, at least a solid contributor. Probably not a top five defensive end anymore, but but should have have some solid weeks. And then Kirk Cousins, I think, in my opinion anyway, is uh, definitely better than Brock, at least a safer play than Brock Osweiler. Yeah, most definitely. I, I think I agree with you, too. I think the other side uh, is a straight-up steal. I'm not a huge Jason Pierre-Paul fan, but uh, giving up Khalil Mack, who is obviously a very solid player at his new new position still, and you get Mosley and Burnett for, let's face it, Osweiler, Cersei, and Devon Kennard are, are guys that are all going to be probably on the waiver wire at some point in time during this season. So he only really only gave up one marquee player and got, got two back and, and got the throw-in of Kirk Cousins. And dude, if Jason Pierre-Paul does anything, this trade is a huge deal in my eyes. So. Uh, Frank Gore, Dion Lewis, and 2017. Excuse me, I'll start over again. Frank Gore, Frank Gore, Dion Lewis, 2017 first, 2017 second for Carlos Hyde, Admir Abdullah, and Theo Riddick. What do you think? Um, I think this one is a steal for the side that picked up the first and second round pick in addition to Dion Lewis and Frank Gore. Even though Lewis is going to start the season on the PUP list, uh, you know, Carlos Hyde, Abdullah, and Riddick, Riddick probably is the most proven of the three as far as uh, PPR production anyway. Uh, Carlos Hyde is a member of that San Francisco offense that just doesn't doesn't appear to be a very solid uh, unit uh, heading into the season. And Abdullah, I think he could be good, but we haven't really truly seen it from him yet. So uh, I, I think being able to pick up a first and second round pick in addition to Frank Gore, who's a good one-year play at running back, and Deion Lewis, who's a pretty good flyer to stash on your bench, and hopefully he can uh, contribute in the second half of the season. I think that's pretty good value. Yeah, I maybe disagree with you a little bit there. I understand both sides of this. Um, I think the guys getting high at Abdullah and Riddick is really just going for it. 
that's kind of in kind of win now mode, and and that makes sense. You know, Frank Gore is, is old, and we don't know what he has left in the tank. And Dion's not gonna. You, you just can't count on any, anything. If you get from Dion Lewis this season, would be would be uh, would be awesome. But I just don't know what's gonna come. So, gave up a first and second round pick for for three running backs. That's gonna solidify probably your roster for the season. I I, I think that's okay. Um, Elshon Jeffrey for Jamal Charles. The Panthers' defense and a 2017 first. What do you think? Uh, I definitely side with the uh, team that picks up Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, recent reports out of Kansas City have Jamal Charles is not uh, not quite the lead back that he used to be. Uh, uh, they're saying it's going to be more of a running back by committee situation there. Uh, you know, trading a team defense that, that is such. Uh, Team defenses seem to be so fluid uh, throughout the season and from year to year that that doesn't really uh, bother me much. And then a first-round pick, but you're getting an elite wide receiver if he's healthy in, in Alshon Jeffrey. So I, I definitely like the, the upside in the Alshon Jeffrey side in this trade. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think the Panthers' D as a whole maybe takes a little bit of a step back. Um, and – yeah, I can't blame Kansas City for rolling with three. If you have three horses that you can hand the ball to, you hand the ball to all three of those horses. Why, why not? Why why risk your, your veteran Jamal Charles, who's had two different knee injuries, uh, for 25, you know, 20, 25 carries per game. You know, I think he, I think he's going to get his solid ten, maybe a couple of looks in the in the receiving game. So, and, and Alshon, it's a bit of a risk because Alshon's had some health scares. I know as a past redraft owner of Alshon, I've loved him in the lineup, and I've hated to take him out of the lineup every week because he's questionable. So, that, that there's certain uh, risk I think on on the Jeffrey side, but it it does make sense. You're getting you know, when he's healthy, a, a, a probably a top 15 wide receiver in this league. Oh, well, the complexion of this one maybe changed a little bit. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, <laughs> Torrey Smith, Austin Safarian Jenkins, and two 2017 firsts for Drew Brees, Matt Forte, Tyler Eifert, and two 2017 thirds. What do you think there, Nick? Well, like you said, the uh, the complexion of this trade completely changed yesterday with the, the unfortunate injury to Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I, I'm going to definitely side, you know, especially post-injury, I will side with the uh, team that picked up Breeze, Forte, and Eifert in the two-thirds, uh, provided that that team is in win-now mode. Uh, obviously, that trade would make no sense for a team in rebuilding mode, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that the side picking up Drew Breeze and Matt Forte is uh, trying to win it all this year. So if, if that is indeed the case, then I I would have given a slight edge to that uh, that side pre-Bridgewater injury, and of course it's a landslide now that uh, the Bridgewater's out for the year. Yeah, and with with the Bridgewater side, um, I guess you gave up two 2017 first pitch. Uh, wait, no, you're getting Bridgewater and the 2000, two 2017 first. So, um, you know, at least you. At least you're getting. No, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, what am I saying? Him, Bridgewater. Yeah, you're getting Bridgewater and two 2017 first. So, you know, it's just an ACL tear. I, I listened to the special Vikings report after that, and it, with him taken away in an ambulance, it was just seemed really, really bad. And I, you hate to say, oh, it's just an ACL, and you know. It's 
could be an 18 month recovery period, but we we've seen people bounce back quicker. So he's going to be their starting quarterback next year. I hopefully for week one, and you got two, two, two first round picks too to help reload your rebuilding roster there. So don't be too down on yourself. And Hey, you get, you put, you move Bridgewater to IR for the season. Guess what? You have a roster spot. <laughs> you might need to cut. You, now you don't need to cut somebody. So there you go. Um, Keep that rebuilding going. Okay, well, it's time for a uh, Dynasty Dilemma. I need a big old drink, so I'm going to play the long clip. Uh, Changes in season here. Got my uh, nose running here in wonderful South Dakota Prairie. But anyway, it's getting cold already, Nick. Let's let's do some Dynasty Trade Analysis in 27 seconds. Time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. No, we just did Dynasty Trade Analysis. Man, I'm not not, not on the ball today, folks. I'm very sorry. It's time for Dynasty Dilemma. Thomas over Boyd by a 70 to 30 margin. 
Uh, one last point, uh, the December weather in Cincinnati can be quite blustery, which could hurt their passing attack just when you need it the most, the fantasy playoffs, while Michael Thomas and the Saints are nice and cozy in their dome. So i, I got to give the edge to Michael Thomas. Uh, well, you did forget the fact that Mohamed Sanu also averaged 7.1 yards per rush last year. He had had himself 10 carries and two touchdowns, so he wasn't totally worthless. But uh, and really, Brandon Coleman, not not Brandon Colston. You can't you can't put those stats together as the wide receivers for you. But anyway, that's not my side. Um, um, there were so many things I disagreed with what you said, and now I can't remember. Then anyway, Boyd. I think Boyd's simply a more versatile wide receiver than Thomas. He has a legitimate ex-wide receiver in A.J. Green to take any threat of a double team away from him. The Saints want Thomas to be their wide receiver one eventually, whether he plays in the slot or not. Um, Boyd will move all over the field while Thomas will, will be utilized for his blocking skills and maybe not rewarded initially. Green is also A.J. Green is also spot. Four to five years older than Willie Sneed and Brandon Cooks. Hence, he'll, he may be passing the torch to Boyd in two or three years from now, while Thomas might be wondering who his quarterback's going to be. Both were productive in college, but Thomas is coming from the run first, flattening the defense to this complex Sean Payton-Drew Brees pass-heavy scheme. The, Thomas also has a somewhat limited route tree in college, and rumors have swirled about his lack of playbook grasp. Before that was even before the Saints took him. The Saints have tried to feed him targets in the preseason to get him prepared, but don't think that will continue in season. I see 60, 70 targets as a max for him this season as he learns. Boyd is ready now, and really the only question about people have about him is his thinner frame. I myself voiced the same concern about on that matter, but I also had a similar worries about a guy named Allen Robinson coming out. And once he got past those injuries, he seemed to be all right. With I, with Tyler Eifert and Brandon LaFell already dinged up, Boyd could approach a hundred the tar- hundred target mark as a rookie, thus speeding up his maturation, which means he'll just be ready to fly absolutely next year. Boyd separates well when he cuts in in his routes, and he uses his length like a pro. Pitt used him in many. Pitt also used him in many different end-arounds and razzle-dazzle plays, much like Cincinnati did with Mohamed Sanu in the past. Boyd also has the talent and the abilities to give what Marvin Jones gave to the Cincinnati scheme. So it's highly possible the Bengals replace both the wide receivers they lost with one stout future stud. Yes, stout stud. Um, That's what I wrote. (laughs) Boyd, Boyd has two things that are absolutely crucial to having continued a continued amount of success in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. He has field awareness and absolutely sticky mitts. And everything else he might not be the best at, but he excels at everything he does. He's, he's not always the best, but he is above average in everything else. I, I really am bullish on uh, Tyler Boyd, and I, I don't think the uh, Allen Robinson comparison is honestly that far off. We'll see what uh, time – time will tell and maybe that's a, a bold prediction or a hot take uh but uh, that's what i got any rebuttal there Nick? well i believe he said at the beginning of uh of your argument that uh new orleans wants uh thomas to be their wide receiver one eventually i i think that you know he has a chance to do that whereas there's virtually zero chance that tyler boyd is ever uh, cincinnati's wide receiver one at least as long as aj green is in the fold 
but yeah, AJ Green's gonna be gone in three years. Remember, he's like 29 years old. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure he's probably got a contract for 2025 20, there because they love him so much like that. Yeah, good dilemma, and I obviously this is obviously one of those great dilemmas too, where you'd be in a. It's awesome to own both of these, and I and I own a share of each of these guys, so I'm I'm excited about uh, both of them. And, there's room for both of them to be uh, to be awesome, and I I, I kind of wanted to work in a point, and I, I never got back to it, Nick. But about you know, one thing one thing is important to remember with rookie wide receivers, and maybe this is a good sense. I'm we're all both defending rookie wide receivers, but not everybody is that 2014 class. So just just, just remember that that was really the exception to the rule. As as a whole, people don't usually come out and crushed like like that one class did and i think some people just because there was a down year last year i think people are looking for a rise don't you think yeah definitely and you are right uh, a great reminder to everybody out there don't don't expect just because you used first round pick on a wide receiver in your rookie draft that he's going to come out and get you 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns right off the bat usually the vast majority of the time rookies take a little bit of time to develop especially at the wide receiver and even more so the tight end position. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of asked the DFW community about uh, who we should talk about playing to your flag and wash your hands wise. And these are a lot of people that, you know, we've done this. We did this after the season. Uh, we did it some more during the summer, kind of laid off a couple of weeks, but now with the roster is bubbling over and you need to get down. We So we're going to kind of, we're going to have some more names. We I know that we've talked about these guys before, but Hey, you know, if you would have asked me on uh Sunday, if I would have been comfortable with Teddy Bridgewater as my wide receiver, excuse me, my rent, my quarterback, number two on the dynasty team, I would have said, hell yeah, I like Teddy a whole lot. But now things change every day. That's my point here. Things change every, every day, every minute. Somebody maybe got hurt in training camp right now. We don't know who it is, uh, and we'll find out tomorrow. But anyway, what do you think about Josh Ferguson? Can you cut a rookie running back, Nick? He was undrafted, but uh, you probably drafted him. Yeah, you know, I'm still holding on to hope that he's going to be the third down back, at least by midseason. I think in PPR leagues, I'm going to plant my flag. Uh, In standard leagues, I'd wash my hands. Uh, That being said, uh, in hindsight, I was offered a fourth-round pick for him uh, at the beginning of the preseason. I really wish I had taken that trade up. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. But, uh, yeah, you never know. Uh, I'm still not a Ferguson guy, so I, I would feel comfortable cutting him. I think just because uh, Turbin's the next, Robert Turbin's the next guy we're going to talk about. Um, I really think breaking down that depth chart, I think Turbin's probably the third down back and Ferguson is his backup and Jordan Todman would probably take over the, the, the majority of the short yardage and tough between the tackles work. If, if Frank or was, was to go down pending all three, all three of those guys are on uh, the roster. There's probably one of the, one of those guys might find themselves uh practice squatted um and that could be ferguson though so we we know that didn't work out for josh robinson last year but um thoughts on robert turbin um i think i'm going to wash my hands here i think if frank gore does get hurt it's going to be running back by committee time uh with no true handcuff there especially now that Stephen Stephen uh, ridley is uh, also now there uh, in indianapolis so uh, i think it's too tough to really trust most of these backup uh, indianapolis running backs We've talked about this Indianapolis running back situation a couple different from a couple different angles in our Q and A over the summer, and 
I think I brought it up the first time around, and uh, Luke Grilly graciously brought it up again. Uh, you know, they're, they're running back might not, they're running back uh, their next great RB one. Maybe not on this roster. Maybe he's a 2017 draft pick. Uh, maybe he's somebody he's going to take in your rookie draft. So they they obviously are just bringing in veterans and bringing in anybody they can to fill the void uh, right now. But you know may, that's certainly a situation they'll need to address here in the upcoming drafts. And we know they're never adverse to taking skill position players in the first round. So don't don't be. Don't be shocked when they take a running back in the first round next year, um, especially if Gore retires. Uh, another running back, Mister Mister South Dakota, who let's if he he's got a he's got a bright future after football. Zach Center from South Dakota State, just 60 miles away from where I'm sitting right now. Do you know this guy is actually a doc- basically is on on going to go on and be a doctor after his NFL career. So he's he's a smart cookie. So he'll be fine if you're ready to cut him. Nick, are you ready to cut Zach Center? Uh, no, I don't think I am. You know, I think he's a big reason that uh, Stephen Ridley was deemed expendable in Detroit. Uh, Theo Riddick there is obviously the third down back, but I think Zenner should be the short yardage guy and the, the handcuff to Amir Abdullah. It wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, Zenner actually led Detroit in rushing touchdowns. I, I'm, I think I'm going to play my flag here. Okay. Um, I honestly can tell you I haven't stayed up on the the back end of this I just know if I'm drafting Amir in a in a in a draft, I need to get Riddick as well. I don't I don't know what's really going on after that. I, have you seen Zenner do some stuff in the preseason, Nick? Um, not really. I just see Riddick as more of a the pass catching type of back. I don't see him really as an every down back in case something were to happen to Amir Abdullah. So I think Zenner would probably slide into the starting running back role as far as like the 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 in between the tackles guy if something were to happen to Abdullah. Sure. And Dwayne Washington is horrible. So, And George Wynn, we haven't seen him do really anything. So, yeah. Um, Zenner also has has tried to, to lobby for some fullback snaps, too, I know. So Mike, Mike Burton is their current starting fullback, but we'll see. Maybe they move him in there because he, he can catch out of the backfield there, too. So um, moving forward, uh one more running back, Alex Collins. Nick, what, what what do you think? We haven't we haven't heard a whole lot of what Mr. Collins has been doing in Seattle. What do you think? Well, I personally like him, but you know, getting beat out by Christine Michael is probably not a very good sign. And uh, reportedly, now he's on the roster bubble. I think if I need room, I'm okay with washing my hands with him. But if I have the room, I'm going to stash it. Uh, Brian Hawks, one of our senior writers here on staff, brought up a good point when I when I asked people about this. He's hoping Alex Collins gets cut because apparently the RB coach right now in Indianapolis, we've already talked about that situation, it was his coach and was one of his co- coaches at college. So if Alex Collins gets cut, maybe he goes to Indianapolis and becomes what they wanted Trent Richardson to be or something. Uh, but uh, something some, some to keep out there. If, if he signs with uh, Indy and Brian, uh, Brian is right, then that's actually we might, we might see him sooner than later. Um, obviously, if he's cut, he will have to clear waivers, and then he can go on their practice squad. But uh, I, I think there's a lot – I think there's enough people that would be intrigued if he got cut to maybe take a chance on him and maybe add him to their active roster. And if it is Indianapolis – we know they would probably feel a little bit more comfortable both letting him roll earlier than some other teams that were worried about him learning their scheme. So 
something to keep in mind. Um, guy that I just traded for, Nick, Kiaris Garrett. What do you think? Well, I, I just don't see how he's going to be fantasy relevant this year, even if he does make the final 53-man roster. But he definitely is a talented uh, receiver. So I understand if you want to keep him. But if I was going to keep uh, Garrett, I would treat him like a rookie tight end and pretty much not expect any production uh, really uh, until like 2018. Well, here's why I'm intrigued by him is because I think we know what Ted Ginn is. We know what he can do. Um, And maybe Garrett is not going to step in as a returner. But, and maybe this 2018, like you said, but when, when Ginn is gone, I think Garrett will be an awesome deep threat in this offense. And he, I, I really like what he's what he's bringing to the table, and I think with Benjamin, we don't know where he's going to be. We don't know what we know. Funches is where he had a great year. Excuse me, last year. We certainly know that he is limited. Curious, Gary is not the perfect prospect. He went undrafted, uh, but uh, I still I still think he might. And like I said, I'm not counting a whole lot on him this year, but I think he's a a guy that you should stash in your your practice squad. He's got the size. He's got the speed. Um, some really nice traits there for the wide receiver there. So I, I, I can't endorse anybody cutting him. If you do it, I, I, I totally understand, but you better have a loaded wide receiver core if you do that. So, um, Victor Cruz, Nick, there's been some pontificators saying that he might finally be back. What do you think? Uh, I'm not buying it. You know, even if he is healthy, he's unlikely to regain his prior form, in my opinion. Uh, even if he does, he's no better than the New York Giants wide receiver three. Uh, that's not much upside with a lot of risk. Uh, you look at the Giants wide receiver three last year, Dwayne Harris was under 400 yards. So, you know, even if he does come back and play 16 games, he probably is. He's not going to have anywhere near the production he used to have in his prime. Uh, not on fantasy terms, but I absolutely love watching that Dwayne Harris cat play. He just plays with so much energy. He's a great return man. Uh, but you're right. Even even if he's healthy for the full 16 games, he's, he's at best seeing a 40% snap percentage, and that's not something you can count on. Unfortunately, I what you know his his big plays were just torching. You know, I'm sorry, Nick, but you're Washington Redskins in the slot for 70 yard touchdown pass. It seems like he always killed Washington, didn't he? But that's just not going to happen. He's not going to be back at full speed. So that that's I'm just just worried about uh, what what he can give. You know, if you're in win now mode and you don't want to keep a guy like Garrett on your roster and somebody offers you up Victor Cruz and maybe a maybe a pick to take him off your hands, I I can I can understand that. You know, I think if you're if you want to just be loaded. I think he's a, he's an okay guy to have on the back end of your roster, but you're certainly not starting him until you see anything out of him. That's for sure. Um, interesting one here, and some dynasty leagues are shallower than most, but what do you think about Doyle Green back in there? Well, behind Jordan Matthews, the race for a wide receiver, too, is kind of a mess in Philly. But now that Reuben Randall and Chris Givens are out, I think I would actually prefer uh, DGB over uh, Josh Huff or Nelson Aguilar, especially since uh, Green Beckham was brought in by the current regime and not Chip Kelly. It seems like the the, the people in power there in Philadelphia are pretty much anti-anything Chip Kelly. So I, I would give the nod to Beckham over the rest of the the rest of the guys there competing. Well. 
I I hear what you're saying, but I will say this in terms of real football versus fantasy. Um, Philadelphia traded a backup offensive lineman for him, so that is their investment in him. Um, if there's any character issues, if there's any, you know, even if it's just he's just not getting the playbook, they can cut him and really not have it cost their franchise much. It's like we said before, it's kind of a low risk move, high high reward type of thing. So he, they didn't spend, you know, a, a fourth round pick in a startup on him like some people did earlier this summer, or a, or you know, a mid first round pick on him in a rookie draft a couple years ago. So j- just just keep that in mind. Um, obviously, there's too much upside in there. Um, if you're adverse to character issues, you probably didn't draft him in the first place. But uh, he's certainly a wait-and-see guy, and we'll probably be talking about him next year if, he's, if he still hasn't broken out, so to speak. But uh, I, I just don't see him breaking out. And, and some some leagues, like I said, are shallower than most. So if, if you're going to draft him in a shallower league, I think – I think that's okay because it might take him a year to get acclimated. And and maybe it's just because he didn't play for a year before he played for Tennessee last year, but he did average 17 point yards per catch last year. So, and scored some, scored a few amount of touch, a, a nice amount of touchdowns for rookie wide receiver too. So that brings us to our next wide receiver in Philadelphia, Nick. Um, I know, I know he was your boy, and I know some other well-respected people that, that he was their boy too. So, what do you think about Nelson Aguilar? Well, it's only a year two, but he really struggled in camp and struggled as a rookie. And if you have him, you likely spent a first-round pick on him. So, I, I can't wash my hands quite yet. I mean, you know, maybe my by mid-season, if he's still doing nothing. Then, then I would wash my hands, but not yet. But I really do wish I could have that first round pick back. Uh, yeah, DFW uh, Cronies League, I believe, I took him with a 1.05 last year, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I could have had Devonte Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a rough one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was actually trying to buy low on Aguilar until they signed DGB, then I didn't know what to think. So um, that'll be an interesting situation as it rolls out. Um, all right, now this is I, – I, I mentioned several times I probably own Charles Sims in, in more leagues than any other, and the, the next guy on the list is a guy that I was all over last year. Thankfully, I didn't spend a first-round pick on him. Sorry, no offense, Dick. But uh, Justin Hardy, Atlanta. I, I still hold, hold it out and praying that he, he becomes the the slot man there in Atlanta. But I probably could drop him in one of the, you know, five or six leagues I own him in. What do you think? Um, well, I do think he's going to be the slot guy there in Atlanta. But, and he had a little bit of a scare with an ankle injury, but he's practicing again from what the reports say. Uh but the fact is Atlanta really hasn't supported three wide receivers in fantasy for a number of years. Uh, I think I would uh, keep him if I had room, but uh, Justin Hardy, like you said, you know, he's truly a bubble guy, and it just depends on your roster. If you need the space, I, I wouldn't hesitate to cut him, but, but he's not a guy that's definitely a must-cut. Like, uh, I, I, you know, if, if you have room, I definitely would hold on to him. Well, here's why I love him. He profiles as a slot receiver, so you automatically think, oh, slot receiver, he's probably limited. The guy can catch. He's, he caught so many balls, and I know I've said this kind of argument before, but he caught so many balls at East Carolina. 
And so he's he's not a liability in that aspect. He, he, is he a 4-3 burner? No, he's not. But he, he just knows how to get open. At least he showed in college. And maybe maybe he's taken a few years to get acclimated to the NFL. But uh, I haven't cut him yet, Nick. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I haven't cut him yet. Uh, thanks to some Keith Marshall injuries, I haven't cut him yet. Um, and what's – come on. Really already, Marshall? You're going to miss the entire year. Oh, jeez. But anyway. Um, oh, Andre Holmes. You know what, Andre Holmes, right? Oakland wide receiver four. Come on. Yeah, you're right. Wide receiver four for the Raiders. Uh, only 14 receptions last year in 16 games. If you're starting him, uh, you're just hoping for a touchdown as a bye week plug. I, I think you probably can find comparable players on the waiver wire in midseason. So I'm washing my hands with Andre Holmes. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You're six five, wide receiver who who's got some fairly decent speed, and you can't stick on an NFL roster somewhere. You you got problems. So yeah, I I don't know what at all you're going to expect from him. Yeah, let him go. Um, another guy I know we've talked about here and there. I think he might actually have been made all three rounds of our our uh, plant your flag or wash your hands. Um, Kenny Bell, Tampa Bay. What do you think? Well, from what I've been reading, it seems like Adam Humphreys and Russell Shepard have uh, passed Kenny Bell on the depth chart there in Tampa Bay. So uh, I, I don't see any reason why you can trust him right now. I'm definitely washing my hands. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a few people let him go. I, I, I love being in our leagues like the DFW 4836 where there's four copies and three copies of players respectively. So when I see one person drop a, a a copy of Kenny Bell. I know I can drop mine because that means there's two copies available. Um, I, I do love that aspect. I feel like if I see somebody, I was like, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, I'm still new to these leagues. I've mean, been was in one 36 for just one year, and this is my first year in 48, so first off season. Um, so yeah, yeah, I I feel like he's a cut until he, I mean, he's a guy that's going to be on the waiver wire anyway until he does something. So maybe if if Humphreys goes down or Vincent Jackson goes down, maybe you pick him up before he starts to be uh, productive. You know, maybe you can jump on that. Because it's not like he's, Vincent Jackson goes down and he's going to step in and be the starter. I think Humphreys will probably get the chance first. He's looking to be very, very solid right now. I know uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah was talking about him on his podcast yesterday, just a just a 5'11", 190-pound wide receiver from Clemson, but uh, he's certainly a, a guy that has uh, waited for his chance, and he might not relinquish it. So, uh, cut Ken- we're okay with cutting Kenny Bell. Oh, this is the big one, Nick. This is the big one. Um, Jeff Janis, wide receiver, Green Bay Packers. So many people love this white guy. What, what do you think? Uh, well, Janice has been hurt most of training camp. I think he's uh, Green Bay's wide receiver five at best. Uh, he should make the final roster cuts just because of his special teams ability, but still, I'm definitely going to wash my hands uh, with his broken hand especially. He's going to be more of a special teams guy. Yeah, you know, and I hope the dynasty community has somewhat cooled off on him now throughout the summer. But, yeah, he's at best, like Nick said, their wide receiver five, maybe even their wide receiver six. And depending on where you want to put Aphrodite in, uh, pretty sure I said that last name right. 
uh, and Ty Montgomery. So, and they also brought in a couple of rookies too, and Jerome Allison and Trevor Davis. I think Trevor Davis has played a little bit better than they expected this preseason. So, so something to keep in mind there. Um, you know, just because a guy catches a touchdown pass in the playoffs doesn't mean he's going to be <laughs> amazing the next year. Um, um, I hope he didn't spend too high a pick at Jeff Janis. So we just don't know if he's ever going to catch on. Um, I only have one IDP guy in here, and this may be just isn't for me personally. Nick, what do you think? Uh, my DFW 36 team was totally in shambles when I took it over, so I'm unloading all my old guys. At age 27, maybe he's 28 now, Vinny Ray is probably my oldest player. What, what do you think? Can I, can I let go and get my medium age down to 26, 25? <laughs> Uh, it would be tough for me to let go of him right now, especially given the fact that uh, Vontez Perfect is suspended for the opening part of the season. I think Vincent Ray is in a in, in a position to make a lot of plays, at least for the first month of the season or so. Uh, he, you know, you look at against Jacksonville, he had a fumble recovery, uh, so uh, in the preseason. So yeah, I am personally going to play my flag with uh, Vincent Ray at least for the opening part of the season. Yeah, and having gone through the same thing last year with Burfecht being hurt, Ray was productive when Burfecht was out. So, but, you know, this, these dynasty communities that we are in, and people are savvy. It's not like I'm be able to unload him on somebody because he has, you know, 10 tackles in the first game. So I, 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 I just don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make the playoffs just because of my current roster, so I don't know. If, if you need a roster spot and – and you are in rebuilding mode. I can I can certainly endorse you letting go of uh, uh, Vinnie Ray. I, I tried to trade him. There's not a lot of interest. It's kind of hard to move a middle tier linebacker like that. So maybe he's not even a middle tier guy. But we know he'll be good for the first month, like you said. So um, any rookies, Nick, or could you maybe just name one whose value has really fallen in your eyes since obviously the draft. Well, there, there's a few of them, but none more so to me than uh, Joey Bosa. Uh, you know, he finally got signed by San Diego after what was a pretty ridiculous uh, contract dispute between the player and the team there. But, uh, you know, it just seems like he signed so late that he's going to be very unlikely to contribute much as a rookie. Uh, pass rushers kind of are the defensive equivalent of tight ends. They take a little bit of time to develop. Uh, the fact that he missed all of training camp now uh, means that the, I, I just have not a whole lot of confidence in him contributing as a rookie. Uh, but at least the fact that he's not sitting out the whole year, which was rumored to be a possibility, uh, you know, in 2017 he should be ready to, to contribute. So that is one at least good sign with Joey Bosa. Good point. And, I, you know, there was talking him sitting out the whole year and reentering the draft next year. It's just like what – what team is going to draft him and where would he even go after, you know, I mean, you need to have something in place before you can even consider taking him just something at least agreed in principle. But yeah, we, I don't know. I mean, I still like him uh, as a future prospect, but uh, I, he's, he's certainly behind the eight ball. He's going to need to get reps. He, uh, I would imagine he's probably staying in, in game shape, but uh uh, I, I will say this about most of this year. Is, I, mean, I know you, you, I don't think you can necessarily count on any production from him, but that San Diego defense is 
terrible. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Raiders fan. They are terrible. They are getting mowed over. But I mean, Bishop Sankey had safe rushing on three carries against this team. I don't care if it's your backups. I mean, come on, it's Bishop Sankey. Um, you can cut him in case you guys are wondering. Um, uh, I somehow traded him for like a fifth-round pick. But anyway, yeah, I, I'm not uh, not sold on Bosa this year, obviously. Well, hopefully he can bounce back. But uh, like I said, with that defense being so bad, he might he might get in there sooner than, than needed. And if they just give him a helmet and say, hey, go get the quarterback, maybe he can do that and, and give you some production this year. Um, I want to look at Jared Goff. Uh, obviously – High expectations with uh, being the uh, 1.01 in the actual NFL draft. And um, I drafted him in, in a rookie draft at the time because my quarterbacks are Ryan Fitzpatrick and Big Ben, and you need to have at least – I needed to have some other option there besides Big Ben at the time of the rookie draft. Fitzpatrick was not obviously a Jet. Um, but now, uh, you know, at that time I took off, I had my chance – I had – the chance to take any of the rookie quarterbacks, Lynch, Wentz, whatever. But I just, I decided on golf because I thought for sure if anybody's going to play this year, it's going to be him. Now, now I don't know. I mean, he hasn't beat out Case Keenum at this point. You know, Paxton Lynch could start more games than golf this year. So, and I don't necessarily think it's all on him. I think they have a lot of fluidity within their wide receiver core. They have a lot of young guys, a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, thankfully they have Todd Gurley, but uh, I just don't, golf just looks lost out there. And he's obviously easily upset by continuous uh, wide receivers, not catching the ball. And there's a lot to be uh, solidified. I think therefore you can, before you can actually put golf in your fantasy lineup. And I don't, I didn't think that was going to be the case. I thought, you know, if I drafted him knowing he would obviously be a big, a backup to big Ben and hopefully, hopefully Fitzpatrick signed. That was my hope. And Fitzpatrick did, but I was hoping if Fitzpatrick didn't sign golf would at least be ready to play, you know, sometime mid season. If, if Roethlisberger got hurt. And I certainly think that is not the case now. Any thoughts there in golf? Um, just that I would be surprised if he's not starting by midseason, uh, only because I don't expect St. Louis to uh, to be a contender. So, you know, once, once they're uh, logically eliminated from the playoffs, I, I know, you know, starting out two and four, you're not logically eliminated. You're, you're not compl- mathematically <laughs> eliminated, but... But, but you know, once they realize that they don't have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs, I don't see any reason why Goff wouldn't be uh, uh, handed the starting role. So I, I do think he starts probably at, at a minimum six games, probably more like eight or ten games. What Do you think he will start more games than Paxton Lynch? Um. No, I, I think the starter there in Denver is going to be on a pretty short leash, a seventh-round pick compared to a first-round pick. Uh, they just have so much less invested than uh, than they do in Paxton Lynch. So I, I think Lynch gets the uh, starting nod there sooner rather than later. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, any other people that you wanted to maybe just to mention before we move forward? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Okay. Uh, Carson Wentz, um, I guess, uh, 
Carson Wentz, uh, I think he'll probably be the last of the three first-round quarterbacks to get a start just because Philly does appear to be uh, set in their ways as far as being patient with him. But I I do think he at least starts the last month of the season, provided that the Eagles are not uh, competing for a playoff spot. And don't forget, Dak Prescott could probably get he could potentially get the most starts ever a rookie quarterback this year. So we'll see, we'll see how that situation works out. Um, uh, what do you think about, we talked a little bit about this last week, but I thought since we're on the roster bubble, if Cameron Bray, Nick wins this tight end job in, in Tampa, is Austin Safarian Jenkins even worthy of a roster spot? Well, first off, I, I don't think that Bray will win that job, uh, and uh, I believe ASJ did start the last preseason game for the Buccaneers. Uh, so I do think ASJ wins the job, but even if he doesn't, I'm not cutting him yet. This guy is just a physical freak, and you know, in year three for a tight end, that's typically the breakout year. I'm at least going to give him half a year, and if by week eight he's still not a, a, a contributor in this offense, then maybe I'll, I'll wash my hands. But for right now, at least I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give up on him quite yet. And there, this is one of those offenses that does use two tight ends quite a bit, um, and maybe that means one is going to be more of a blocker. But we'll we'll see how that situation works out. There's a lot of a lot of tight ends currently on their roster. They still have seven tight ends on their current roster. Before obviously they're going to cut maybe one or two of those guys, but uh, they like they like to roll roll that players those players through there. There, so um, um, is there a is there a a place in your heart that sees both of these guys, Nick, being somewhat fantasy worthy, maybe tight end 15 and 16 this year? Uh, it's tough to see, especially this year. Uh, you know, maybe in a year or two once Vincent Jackson is gone, then maybe that would open up some more opportunities for both tight ends to get targets. But this year with Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson still in the fold. Uh, plus, you look at Charles Sims being a great uh, receiving running back out of the backfield. Uh, tough to see both of them being fantasy relevant. Very true, very true. I was thinking like seven touchdowns for Braid and maybe Maybe 50, 50 snags, fifty catches for uh, Safarian Jenkins. Maybe that's uh, that would be probably top end what they could do. Uh, we t- maybe talked about this a little bit, a bit uh, earlier with the, with the news and notes. Nick, but any other injuries that you're worried about there, Keith Marshall? Um, well, yeah, you mentioned it uh, in Washington, Matt Jones, and the backup running back Keith Marshall. Marshall now Marshall is now on injured reserve. Uh, Matt Jones is kind of questionable to start the season, so that uh, could leave uh, the undrafted rookie free agent Rob Kelly in line to get some work. Uh, Ladarius Green's injury in Pittsburgh leaves the door open for Jesse James to prove himself over the first six weeks at least of the season. Uh, but of course, we, like we talked about earlier, the biggest injuries have to be the two quarterbacks, Tony Romo and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Those those injuries hurt hurts every wide receiver on those two two teams, and it, you know if the quarterbacks struggle, that could hurt the running backs' touchdown numbers as well. Even if the running backs get more carries, as the teams lean on the run game, if they're not finding the end zone, that's going to hurt their fantasy production. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Uh, I do want to. I mentioned it during our pod or during our during the podcast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, during the dilemma with, or excuse me, the four against with Kamara Aiken, but 
I, I just my my heart goes out to Ben Watson. Look at a guy that you know just was a grinder his whole career and finally broke out last year in New Orleans and was looking to be a big part of that that Baltimore uh, offense this year. Uh, that's just just a shame there. He's to for him to tear his uh, tear his Achilles like that, unfortunate because at his age, you know it's more than likely not his season's done. It's probably it's probably his career. I'm not saying that's going to be. It, but you just wonder about what a guy that age can do and how quickly he can bounce back from something like that. A guy that's, you know, been in the trenches and been that blocking tight end finally was given some targets and responded last year. I, just, I feel pretty bad for the guy. I mean, I know it's it's a every year occurrence in the NFL, but just it just it just uh, got me down the other night when I saw that happen. But, uh, of course, and then, of course, my head starts spinning about Kamar Aiken and all the other guys that could benefit from it. But, you know, when somebody gets hurt, you got to think about them too. So, um, Brandon Oliver also tore his Achilles too. So, um, not huge news. I think that's uh, good news for Melvin Gordon and Danny Woodhead owners, as you know, there's one less experienced guy in the fold there. So, um, uh, yeah, not, I'm also a little bit worried about Jonathan Casillas or. Looking a guy that was looking to start at linebacker there for uh, for the Giants and got got a little bit dinged up the other day. I'm not sure of the extent of his injury yet, but uh, picked him up in the league. So I'm hoping he can uh, hoping he can do something for me. And he was a guy that wasn't huge last year, but he was a startable option last year for me. So I, I hoping he can uh, pick back up where he left off, especially now that he's going to be named uh, named a starter pending uh, pending he. Uh, gets through that uh that injury there so um it is time for best number 46 nick what do you got for us well we'll uh start with one current player alfred morris he's a two-time pro bowler he rushed for over 4,700 yards in his four seasons in washington and uh josh i remember you thought he deserved uh the rookie of the year award in 2012 that award of uh of course went to robert griffin the third that year uh, the running back Chuck Muncie went to three Pro Bowls while playing with New Orleans and San Diego from 1976 through 1984. He led the NFL with 19 touchdowns in 1981. Uh, strong safety Tim McDonald went to six Pro Bowls and won a Super Bowl with the 49ers in 1994. Uh, McDonald spent six years with the Cardinals before going to San Francisco for his final seven seasons and had a career high of 155 tackles and seven interceptions in 1989, his first Pro Bowl season. Herm Edwards uh, recorded 33 interceptions over his 10 years, uh, uh, nine of which were in Philadelphia. Of course, he's now better known as a coach and analyst, but he was a very solid cornerback as well. And why did Herm Edwards play? He played to win the game. Uh, Todd Christensen won... uh, You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Sorry, that's right. No, no, Hello? no need to apologize. You play to win the game. Uh, Todd Christensen uh, won two Super Bowls and went to five straight Pro Bowls from 1983 through 1987, playing tight end for the Raiders. Uh, Christensen twice led the NFL in receptions in 1983 and 1986 and was a bit of a late bloomer, even for a tight end. He only caught eight balls in his first three seasons combined. Uh, fun fact, Josh, did you know that Todd Christensen actually played one game with the New York Giants before joining the Raiders? I didn't know that uh, before researching this anyway. 
you know, but for our top number 46 of all time, we're going to go back a ways. Lou Groza was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1974. Groza played offensive tackle from 1947 through 1959 and then was forced to only be a kicker from 1961 through 1967 due to a back injury. Uh, he went to nine Pro Bowls. He was the NFL Player of the Year in 1954, uh, was a six-time All-NFL tackle, and scored over 1,600 points in his 21-year career. You know, it's a shame that we don't see offensive linemen nowadays doubling as kickers. I, I would just love to see a 345-pounder <laughs> out there trying to attempt a field goal. But, you know, anyway, the former Cleveland Brown and Hall of Famer Lou Groza is definitely our top number 46 of all time. Um, it does make you wonder, like, what NFL offensive lineman would be the best kicker? You know, it just <laughs> um, I don't know what uh, specs would have to be there, but yeah. Uh, big shout out to Eugene Franklin Zimmerleek Jr., who played one game with the Atlanta Falcons in 1987 as the least important number 46 of all time. Um, and I'm sure I knew about this, but I completely forgot that Todd Christensen had passed away three years ago when we started doing this research. I was just like, what? Uh, so I, I apologize to the Christensen family. I should have, I should have remembered that, but uh, um, yeah, not, uh, not too pleased when I realized that again too, but uh, I don't know. You did uh, forget about Liddell Betts who played eight years in the NFL uh, for your Washington Redskins in one year with the, uh, New Orleans, he had a thousand yards for those Redskins there in 2006, Nick. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. You give us, give this award to a kicker in the 40s. I don't know. I got, I think Alfred Morris should get the list. And I know he's probably, you know, me. This, he's obviously not a top 20 running back of all time. But this being kind of a, a shallower number, I think he, he deserves. Obviously, I think he's probably the best active, but I think he, he could potentially be the best of all time because what he did, he, like you said, I I wrote a somewhat scathing report on how Alfred Morris should have been the rookie of the year, the year Robert Griffin won, because Robert Griffin doesn't run for all those yards. He doesn't throw those passes if there was not a legitimate threat in the backfield like Alfred Morris, who, yeah, guess what, also a rookie and just stepped in week one and was it just a a pro all year long and maybe Washington overused him but uh, we'll see what Morris has got left in the tank and what kind of touches they want to get him in Dallas but I I, I really love, love just the way he attacks the game and maybe he's an old school running back and not necessarily a fantasy stud because he doesn't catch balls but he, he puts his head down and gets the job done and I totally respect people like that He's also a very was an upstanding member of the community there in Washington, and uh, just a, a guy that leads by example too. So I think there's a lot of reasons to like Alfred Morris besides whatever stats he's put up throughout his career. Don't you think? I I do, uh, and I I agree with everything you said there. Alfred Morris definitely, uh, you know, was a great player for his four years in D.C., but uh, I mean, come on, Lou Groza, you know, he wasn't just a kicker. He was a six-time All-NFL Offensive Tackle and won a Player of the Year award, basically, uh, you know, in 1954 as an offensive lineman and a kicker. You don't see offensive linemen winning the NFL MVP. Uh, I'm assuming that's what the NFL Player of the Year award was back in the 1950s. It probably morphed into an MVP, just, just an assumption on my part. But, 
Uh, I, I think there's no way you can give it to anybody other than Lee Groom, in my opinion. Okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I can, I can deal with that. Um, how about Todd Christensen? Like you said, um, leading the league in receptions twice in the mid '80s for a tight end—that's pretty amazing. Had three different thousand-yard wide, thousand-yard receiving seasons too. That just seems like it was unheard of back in those days. And I just, when people talk about great tight ends, I don't think he necessarily uh, gets brought up. Granted, he didn't have the, the gaudy production and longevity of a guy like Tony Gonzalez. And I'm not saying he's better than Tony Gonzalez, but I, th- I think he certainly needs to be remembered as one of one of the great tight ends there uh, for uh, in the NFL and certainly was a great member of that, uh, that Raider Nation there for, the 137 games that he was available there for the Vikings or for the Raiders, excuse me. Yeah. So somehow Todd Richardson was a second round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys and then played one game with the New York Giants before joining Oakland. I would love to know more on that, that, that uh, backstory. Cause that's certainly something that doesn't happen. You don't see second round picks get thrown around like that uh, uh, nowadays. Um, but uh, we also know that they're not a for sure thing next week. I will be, done with my my home league redraft league we draft on uh tuesday so maybe nick will give you somewhat of a little report i know i'm putting you behind the eight ball nick i'm not gonna let you sleep much tuesday night but uh maybe you could just give us a little bit of report just a little overview of my draft because i'm sure it's gonna be awesome so you know you could just pencil in <laughs> b plus uh <laughs> but uh and then we will be joining you next week on Wednesday. And then we have football, real NFL football, the following day on Thursday, um, kind of becoming a tradition. Uh, we I don't even think I even told you this, Nick, but we got Howard Bender, Mr. Mr. Lovable himself, the, one, of my, one of my favorite people out there in the fantasy community, one of the funniest people out there, the, uh, the sensei, lord and master, if you will, over at uh, Fantasy Alarm is going to be joining us as we kind of do somewhat of a – prediction show and we'll have some of the other stuff we normally do and i thought since we did the past couple years rookie draft redo nick i thought we would just redo the 2016 rookie draft on the eve of the the 2016 season why not how see how some things have changed uh within the community and see just do maybe just do a quick uh Quick little top 12 picks, so we'll bring that to you next week. Should, should be a fun show, and uh, I still need to talk to our ATS guy. I'll make some ATS picks next week, too. So, um, yeah, I don't know what else you're going to be doing next week, people. You're going to be getting an awesome podcast from us, so that's for sure. So, uh, not that this one wasn't awesome. As always, Nick, uh, pleasure, and we will talk to you next week, buddy. Yeah, it'll uh, be very interesting to see where Dak Prescott goes in that uh, 2016 redraft uh, revisit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll see who who wants to touch that first. Um, that's all we have for you. Like I said, uh, we will talk to you next week, and have a good one, bud. You too. Dynasty Bowl Podcast with J.T. Gilkey, Leslie Wagner, and Joshua Johnson. Diana, people.